Well, praise the wonderful name of Jesus, everybody. Hello, this is Pastor Stroud, and I thank you so much for joining me for more Kingdom Rock Radio. Well, on today's broadcast, we're going to air the message entitled, The Field of Blood. What really happened before the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified? Well, we're going to talk about that today and a whole lot more. And it has something to do with 30 pieces of silver. So stay tuned. I believe that you will be richly blessed. Don't forget to log on to our website at www.kingdomrock.org. You'll find this message there and a whole lot more. All right. Without any further ado, here comes today's message entitled The Field of Blood right here on Kingdom Rock Radio. All right. Well, once again, turn your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew 27, uh, verses 1 through 10. We're going to start possibly a short series. I'm not sure how long it's going to go, maybe two or three or four. But this is called The Field of Blood. The Field of Blood. Some of you are familiar with The Field of Blood, but if you're not, you will be after today the field of blood. There is a blood field, a field of blood. All right. So we're going to read Matthew 27 verses one through 10. And then we're going to go back and expound on some things. And we're just going to do our best to do what we do. Amen. Amen. Matthew 27 verses one through 10. Now the King James version, it reads like this. When the morning was come, All the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Stop right there for a second. Let me tell you what has happened prior to this. We know that the Lord Jesus has had a uh, three and a half year ministry and uh, it has come time now for him to fulfill his destiny. And he's had last supper met with the disciples. He's, they've had the communion. And in the communion, he tells them that some of you, one person in here is going to betray me. And they all say one with another. Is it I, Lord? Is it me? Is it me? Judas himself says, Lord, is it me? You know it's you, you devil. <laughs> Judas himself asked, Lord, is it me? Am I the one that's going to betray you? Okay. But we're going to look at that, too. We're going to look at a little bit about uh, Judas as someone who gets caught up. Because I'm sure many of us have been caught up before. But understand something. Judas goes out and he goes to the high priest. And really, he goes to the high priest and asks them, how much would you give me for him? How much would you give me for him? How much is Jesus worth to you? And he does this after... um, After Mary comes in and she anoints Jesus for his burial, the disciples are so uh, she pours out some very expensive oil on Jesus, very expensive oil. And the disciples get angry, especially Judas. And Judas goes to the woman and says to her simply, this oil was wasted on Jesus. This oil should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And the Bible says not that Judas cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he held the money, the bag money, the money, uh, the money that was in the bag. And and he would go into that whenever he wanted to. He was the treasurer. So he didn't care so much for Jesus, although he was numbered with the twelve. 
Nowhere in scripture do we ever see uh, Judas relate to Jesus as Lord. He simply calls him master or rabbi. Nowhere in scripture do we see Judas uh, laying at Jesus's feet or him embracing him. But Judas was still numbered with the twelve. So after Judas sees this appalling sight of someone lavishing Jesus with oil, putting putting all of their care or putting their riches or treasure upon the Lord Jesus, giving him their optimum worship, he gets excited. He gets angry. After that moment, he begins to seek the priest. How much would you give me for him? And they said, 30 pieces of silver from that moment he goes to seek to betray Jesus well after the last supper they arise and they go to the garden of Gethsemane this is where the Lord is praying and he's praying diligently praying so hard that it says his sweat was like blood pouring down from his face he's praying praying knowing what's ahead It is in that place where Jesus says, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, let not my will, but let your will be done. He knows what's ahead. Finally, the time has come. Here comes Judas now. He's come with a lot of people with him. Here comes Judas. He's coming with people with knives and swords and clubs, and they're coming for Jesus. Judas comes up and he greets Jesus with a kiss. Jesus said, will you betray the son of man with a kiss? You betray me with a kiss because Judas told them earlier, whoever I kiss, that's the one. That's the one. And so they take Jesus. Now you can read the rest of it. I'm just giving you a short narrative as to what happened before this case here in Matthew 27. They take Jesus Uh, In that night that was at night and this starts Matthew 27 begins the morning after they have taken Jesus. This is the morning after. So the Lord has spent the evening in chains or in bonds or shackled. And in the morning, they're going to try to discover what they're going to do with him. What can we do with Jesus? Now, understand something. Someone asked the question, why was the devil so upset with Jesus? Why was he so upset with Jesus? Because understand something. Jesus brought in grace and truth. He brought in a relationship with the father. The enemy is not so mad at those that are religious. But when you try to ask God to come in your heart and your life begins to change, then he gets upset. You don't have a problem when you come to church. Just don't let the church get in you. You don't have any problem with you worshiping, but when, uh, when you begin to clap for good music, that's my song, that's my song. But when you leave the house of God and your worship begins to change your life, then you become a threat to him. And so Jesus comes along and he brings people in intimacy with God. He introduces intimacy. He begins to say, call God Father. He begins to tell them, teach them to pray to God as father, talking about an intimacy with God. Before then, they just thought, oh, you God, you're high and you're you're terrible. You're going to strike me with lightning. I better do right. But now Jesus says he's father. 
So it's introducing, he's introducing an intimacy with God and that intimacy with God empowers people to overcome the enemy. Religious acts do not overcome the enemy, but it's your intimate relationship with God, your time, your fellowship with him that overcomes the enemy because you begin to build a life with him and he lives in you. And the scripture says plainly, greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Remember, Jesus said to those that were religious, he said, now you've heard it written, thou shalt not commit adultery. Yes, yes, yes. He said, but this is what I say to you. If you even look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. So he takes it from an external thing to an internal thing. You understand? And this is why Jesus was so threatening or is so threatening to the satanic kingdom. This is why, because what he preached and taught brought change in people's lives. It began to change us. And I can testify today over 2000 years later, he, his ministry has changed me and is changing me. Can anyone else say that it has as well? This is a testimony to the resurrection of Christ Jesus. A changed life. A changed life. And so here we see here, going back into Matthew, Matthew 27, verse number one, it says, and when the morning was come, so Jesus has been kept in bondage all night long. It says, all the chiefs say all, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They had a meeting. How are we going to kill Jesus? They took counsel. How are we going to put him to death? In verse 2. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. That's the Roman official of that day that had the authority of Rome to condemn someone, to put someone to death. Okay. They could not find anything in themselves. They had false accusers to come in, somebody to lie and say, he said this or he said that. He claims to be the son of God. He claims to be God. Oh, heresy. These words are worthy of death. And so now they deliver him over to Pontius Pilate. And so now Jesus is going from the temple from the meeting room of the elders and the and the priests. He's going from that place. Now, it's very important that you understand this. He's going from that place, shackled and chained, going to the law officials, to the world of that day, going to Pontius Pilate. Now, listen, verse three says, then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned. So Judas is watching. He's watching the whole process. When Judas saw that he was condemned, now the word condemned means to give judgment against, to judge worthy of punishment. When Judas saw that Jesus was going to be condemned, in other words, he saw that Jesus was not going to get out of this situation. He saw that this was the end of the road. I'm sure that Judas, as he coveted for those 30 pieces of silver, Because now he has the silver. Jesus has been delivered payment in full. Judas has the silver. He's betrayed the Lord Jesus. He has been paid. But now that he saw that Jesus was condemned or that he was going to die, the Bible says he repented himself 
and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Stop there for a second. Now, if you understand this, you'll understand what the field of blood means and you'll understand what you understand the extreme price that God went to to bring you into his presence, to bring you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, there is one great reason why God did that. And let me tell you, this is one great reason why God did that. Yes, he wants you to be in eternity with him. Yes, he wants you to come home with him. But the other reason is simply there is a hell. Hell is real. You say, I believe in heaven. Well, great. If you believe in heaven, then you must of necessity believe in hell. You say, I believe there's good. Then you must of necessity believe that there is bad. So if you believe in heaven, you must believe that there is a hell. The Bible says clearly that hell was not prepared for man. Hell was prepared for the devil and the fallen angels. It was prepared for them. Spirits are eternal. You will live forever. There's no such thing as going away to nothingness. You will live forever. Hell was a place prepared for the disobedient spirits. Because spirits cannot die because spirits were all shaped in the image of God. God came out. I mean, we came out from God. He created us. We are spirits. We cannot die. So therefore, there must be a place for the disobedient spirits to go. Well, they sure can't live up in heaven. You're not tearing up the furniture in heaven. Hell is a place for the disobedient spirits. That was for the devil, that archangel Lucifer and the fallen angels. That was their abode. But now the Bible says that hell hath enlarged itself. Now understand something. God is a master carpenter, if you will. He's a master builder. He knows that uh, when he built hell, it was for a specific number. A specific number. We weren't supposed to go there. But because man insists on going there, he's got to open it up a little bit. It has enlarged itself for those who are not supposed to go there. Turn your name and tell him, you're not supposed to go there. It was not created for you and it was not created for me. The fall of man, the fall of man, when man fell in disobedience, we became candidates for hell. Man needed a way of being redeemed, being brought back into fellowship with God. And Jesus is that bridge uh, or that plan of redemption. Now all you have to do is believe in what Jesus has done. And when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved. Not a religious work. That doesn't mean not start coming to church. But it means that God himself would come and live on the inside of you in the form of his Holy Spirit. And he begins to make you new. The Bible says clearly once again that all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We become new creatures, a new creation, a new species of being, if you will. God comes inside and makes you new. Now, what's new? We know it's not your flesh. 
I've known one person that had one tooth at the altar, at the altar giving his life to Jesus. And when he said amen, he still had one tooth. Amen. The body has not changed. Well, you say, what is it, the mind? No, you still remember the old phone numbers. You still remember how to get back to the club. You still remember how to drink, how to snort, how to cuss, how to root, how to toot, how to poot, whatever. You still remember how to do all of that. The mind has not changed. Now, here again, you are made of three parts. Man is a, a three-part a three being, your body, soul, and spirit. So when God says you become new, you become born again, you're twice born. He's not talking about your body and he's not talking about your mind because your mind actually has to be renewed in the things of God. Day by day, the word of God has to get in your mind. It has to be reprogrammed now to think a different way. So what is he talking about? If it's not body, it's not mind. There's going to have to be the spirit, your real, the real you, your spirit being. This has become new and it is that part of you that cannot die cannot die it is eternal so when your body expires when they put so and so in the coffin in the ground the body is gone but the spirit part of you and your soul your memories will travel with you to the other side you will retain your memories. This is why we see there uh, when Lazarus um, was in the grave and the rich man, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, how the rich man remembered he had brothers. They remember their life on the earth. They remember they have full memory. And this is what makes hell so terrible because some people will actually be in hell and remember being in church service. They will remember hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will remember how, how the blood of Jesus uh, was given to forgive their sins, to make them right with God. And they will remember how they said, oh, that wasn't nothing. They say, I just refuse to believe. But let me tell you now, everybody in hell is a believer now everybody there believes but then it's too late are you understanding so there is a hell to shun and there is a heaven to gain this is a fact unfortunately some of us will have to die to get there to actually believe it so the father knows man is destined for that place unless he receives this ark, as in Noah's ark, this wrath, this way of getting right with God to spare him from judgment. And so enters Jesus. Jesus is God's ark, so to speak. When we climb into him, we're in the world, but the world is not in us. And we become safe and we become secure in him. Are you understanding? So let's get back to the text text for a moment. So when Judas saw that he was condemned, saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented himself. He changed his mind. Scripture says um, the word repented here means uh, to care afterwards. That's real important for you to understand this. It says he repented himself. He cared afterwards. In other words, he regretted what he had done. Now, because he regretted what he had done, that tells me that it was never Judas's intention for Jesus to die. 
That was never his intention for Jesus to die. He just wanted the money. He got caught up into something. Have you ever wanted something so bad or something ever had a hold of you that you went beyond advice? You went beyond your own thinking you knew it was bad, but it really had a hold on you. Maybe somebody or something, you went past the promptings of the Holy Spirit and you went after it anyway. And it never turned out good, never turned out well. You were just so into it. One man said your nose was so wide open you can fly a 747 up there. You were so into this, you've got to have this, you've got to have this. Where Judas's thing was money. All he wanted was the money. And I believe that Judas thought that if he betrayed Jesus, that Jesus would simply just get out of the situation like he'd had so many times before. Remember several times, one particular time they were going to throw Jesus off the cliff. But he simply walked right through them and went on his way. Several times they thought they had him hemmed up in the temple, questioning him and questioning him. And with the wisdom of God, he confound all them, confound them. He got out of the traps again and again and again and again. So I believe that Judas thought, this is my opportunity to make me some money. I'll betray Jesus and I'm sure he'll simply get out of it again and we'll laugh about it later and I'll be 30 pieces of silver richer he'll forgive me for what I'm about to do so caught up in it so caught up but this time Judas sees that his plan has gone horribly wrong and the Bible says when he saw that Jesus was condemned oh I didn't mean for it to go this far I didn't mean for it to go this far The Bible says that he repented himself and then he brought the money, the 30 pieces of silver. He brought the money and he came back to the high priest with that. Now, remember, if Judas's intent was to kill Jesus, why not just take the money and go? Hey, payday. You got him. But it was not his intent to kill. He just wanted the money. So caught up. So caught up that you can't hear the words or advice of others so caught up. You just have to have it. Have to have it. The world may say you were jonesing for something. You just had to have it. But God can eat, but God can and he will restore you even after we've acted like a fool. He has the ability to restore you. He has the ability to restore you. So the Bible says here, it says, then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, verse number four, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. I sinned. I betrayed innocent blood. Jesus is an innocent man. I should not have done that. I've sinned. I've sinned. Now, it's very important that you understand this. Because when Judas says, I've sinned, I betrayed an innocent man. And who is he saying this to? He's saying this to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned. I betrayed an innocent man. He's saying this to the chief priests 
and to the elders. Understand something. In the Old Testament, there was something known as a city of refuge. If you unlawfully killed someone or uh, and then you can really uh, find that uh, in the word of God. But if you unlawfully killed someone and uh, that is you made a mistake, you, you didn't have any malice against them. You didn't have any hate against them. Uh, it was an accident. You could run into the city of refuge. And when you got to the gates, you would declare to the elders of the city what happened. And the elders of the city would allow you to come in. And when the person, uh, their family, you know, you've offended someone in their family, they were coming to get revenge and kill you too. You killed their so-and-so and now their family were coming to kill you. But if you ran into the city of refuge, the place of refuge, also Christ is known as our refuge and our strength a very present help in time of trouble if you run into the city of refuge and plead your case before the elders within the elders would see it and they would allow you to come in and then if the one that was trying to hunt you down and kill you if they came to the gates the elders would not let them in no they're protected in the city of refuge no you cannot have them innocent Judas goes to the elders and tells them, I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. Jesus. In other words, help me make this right. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let's see what happens. See what they say here. It says saying, I have, I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. Talk about a slap in your face. In other words, that's not our problem. You handle it. So he's rejected from a place of refuge, rejected from a city of refuge. And now Jesus's family. Well, who is Jesus's daddy? Thank you, Jesus. God. Now Judas is having to run from God because he's betrayed innocent blood and there's nowhere for Judas now to run the elders are not offering him any sort of redemptive work now here again here is the uh, the difference between religion and relationship religion won't even hear your confession the elders and the high priest didn't want to hear the confession they said oh you handle it you deal with this yes we understand your bad behavior and we can tell you yes this is bad but it cannot offer you a solution to take that away from you to, to take the sin, the, the sin or the shame or the guilt away from you it can only identify it and that's what a lot of church folk would do a lot of religious church folk would do they would tell you you're a sinner Uh, you're going to hell God don't like that but see they cannot offer you a path of redemption only Jesus can offer you the path of redemption Judas not seeing a way to escape does something here he knows that he has betrayed innocent blood. He knows there's no place for him. And the Bible says, and they told him, what is it to us? You handle that. We're not going to lift one finger to help you. We're not going to lift one finger to help you. As a matter of fact, as they say here, as they say, we're not going to lift one finger. In other words, we're not going to help you in your problem, in your situation at all. 
at all. As a matter of fact, and Jesus testified about the religious leaders there in Matthew 23, verse 4. In, this is out of the uh, New Living Translation. It says, they crush people with unbearable, unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. That's what religious does. That's what religion does. It crushes people with unbearable demands. Because understand something, here again, there's a difference between being religious and having a relationship with God. All religion can do is tell you that you're bad. All religion can do is tell you you're bad and try to tell you some things to do to be good. Give you a list of things so that you can be good. But Jesus did not come to give you another religion. He came to give you a relationship with God. Religion works from the outside in. It tries to control your actions. But Jesus says, if you would allow me to come in your heart, he will restore your heart. He will, as a matter of fact, create in you a new heart, a clean heart, and he'll renew a right spirit on the inside of you. And from the heart, God works outwardly. Because the Bible says, once again, that uh, from the heart proceeds murders and envies and all these bad things from the heart. It works from the heart outwardly. So as Jesus cleanses your heart, your whole life will begin to change. It is as if religion, here's another example. Religion works if there's a fruit tree outside. Religion simply works to cut down the fruit off of the tree. But guess what? The fruit grows back the next year. But relationship with Christ works at the root of the tree. God injects it, his cure at the root of the tree. And when the roots die, the tree dies. But here's the thing. People give their lives to Jesus and say, well, I've been coming to church for a while now. I have not seen any change. Maybe the change is happening on the inside first. Because even after, let's say, a farmer injects poison into the roots of the tree, you still see the fruit on the tree. But the tree is, in fact, dying. Are you hearing? Are y'all with me today? So let's go back a little further here. It says, so Judas came and and, uh, told them I betrayed innocent blood. He was simply caught up in doing the wrong thing. Caught up. He did not mean for Jesus to die. He repented himself. He regretted what he had done, but he was caught up doing the wrong thing. And he could not find any relief in the religious leaders. You ever gone somewhere you would know you knew you were so deep in sin, knew you were heavy laden, and you went to somebody who you thought could help them, help you, and they only simply condemned you? Amen. Instead of offering you a hand, they gave you a finger. They pointed out your sin. So what does Judas do? We see here in verse number five, he says he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. He went and hanged himself. He threw the money back in the thing that he so desperately schemed and connived and he wanted so badly. Now he ends up throwing it back down and goes to a tree, scholars say, and he hangs himself. 
Now, let me tell you just for a moment about what he threw down. The Bible says that he threw down the 30 pieces of silver. Silver has a story. Let me tell you, silver, um, silver is a symbol of wealth, is a symbol of purity, but it's also a symbol of redemption. He threw down redemption on the floor of the church, on the floor of the temple. He threw down redemption. The 30 pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver. If we look there in the Old Testament was also the price of a slave. If your slave was out uh, in in the farmlands or what have you. And if they were gored there in Exodus 21, if they were gored by some sort of beast, uh, some some form of uh, cattle, if the cattle ran them over and uh, and killed the slave. Well, Whoever owned um, the cattle was supposed to pay the master, the owner of the slave, 30 pieces of silver. It was the cost or the price of a dead slave. And then the cattle, whatever killed it, was supposed to be stoned to death. Judgment came upon it. So grab a hold of this again. If your servant was out plowing and someone else's animal came and they gored, gored, that is they stampeded or they uh, trampled over the slave and killed him. Blood was shed, you know, he's dead, killed him. Well, then uh, whoever owned that animal would have to pay the slave owner 30 pieces of silver. As restitution, my slave is dead, so you pay me. 30 pieces of silver is what they covenant uh, with Judas for Jesus. They said that Jesus is only worth the price of a slave. Not millions or thousands of dollars. What would you give me to betray him? Hmm, We'll give you the price of a slave. He's really not worth that much to us. Judas agrees. But understand something, this foreshadows something highly prophetic because Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but he came to minister. Now, the word for minister is servant or slave. He came as a slave into the earth, slave to the father's will. So he is owned by God. He's following the father's orders. And in his travels, as he's planting and sowing into people's lives, he gets gored by this animal, by this flesh. He's about to be hung on a cross, gored. He's about to bleed and die. But instead of judgment coming, because understand, judgment must come on the animal. He must be stoned to death. Whoever put him in this place, whoever killed the servant, must himself die. That's the price. The animal must die and payment must be given. So we see here's a servant about to die. We see payment given. Only thing that is left is for Whatever caused him to be put on the cross to be gored to die as well. But instead of this, God offers another solution. And this is echoed in uh, Jesus's words on the cross. He says, Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Why would he say forgive them? Why would he say release them from this debt? Because he was a servant, a slave. And death was supposed to come for the ones that put him in that place. 
So Jesus releases mankind. He releases the high priest. He releases the Roman uh, soldiers and army. He releases us from the debt, as he said on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. The 30 pieces of silver saying again, Jesus is servant. He is slave. And God allowed him to go through that process so that we could be redeemed. Let's hurry on a little bit. Then we're about to close out. Are y'all still with me today? It says in verse number six, it says the, of course, we know the chief priest says that's not our problem. You handle it. So Judas did. He cast the 30 pieces of silver into the temple and he departed and hang himself on the tree. Now, if you would hear this, this is also a very prophetic picture. Judas hung on the tree by the neck. But in just a few hours, Jesus is also about to hang on a tree. So we see a righteous man hanging on the tree, Jesus Christ, and an unrighteous man hanging on the tree, Judas. Judas, the Bible says, uh, especially if you look in the book of Acts, uh, when he hung himself, Acts 1, I believe, Acts 1, uh, 18, uh, when he hung himself, the branch broke and his bowels gushed out. The tree was not able or the branch was not able to support the weight of Judas because his works were unrighteous. Simply put, he was trying to rectify his sin by killing himself, by throwing the money back into the temple. Oh, I'm sorry I did that. I did that. He's trying to make it right. The second thing he tried to do is, of course, to kill himself. Let me remove myself from the equation. He's trying to work his own salvation. And that work was not righteous. Understand something as well. The Bible says that it repented him and he went before the chief, the the priests and made confession. He never confessed before God. He only confessed before men. He only told men what he had done wrong, but he never talked to God the father and say, I have sinned. I have fallen short. He only made confession before people. And the only thing people can do is tell you how bad it is and put the weight back on you to do something about what you've done. But Jesus said, cast your cares upon me for I care for you. He can bear the weight of your sin. He can bear the weight of your addiction, your habits. He can bear the weight of your shame and your guilt. Cast it on him. Confess your faults before him and he is able to deliver you and heal you. And so what happens, Judas goes out and he hangs himself unrighteously on the tree and falls. But Jesus hung on the cross righteously and stayed there until he died. And then they took him down. Jesus, the Bible says, curses everyone that hangs on the tree, curses the man that hangs on the tree. Jesus became the curse for us. Mankind was cursed. And it's still under a curse, a curse meaning absent from the blessing, absent from the approval of God, absent from the favor of God. And what puts us back in God's favor? What puts us back in God's approval? The shed blood of Jesus Christ. When we receive Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, we come back into the favor with God. We come back into right relationship with God, not by doing good things. Are you hearing? Amen. Let's go a little bit further before we close out today. So he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself, trying to solve the problem. Trying to solve the problem. Verse six says, and the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful uh, for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. 
We can't put this into the church offering because it's the price of blood. Verse 7, and they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field. Say potter's field. They bought the potter's field uh, to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field was called the field of blood until this day. They took the money that was used to betray Jesus. Now it's blood money. And they went and bought a potter's field, a field that belonged to a potter. Someone that took the earth clay and made pots and made cups and made dishes. And the potter's field was used when the potter made an item was that was not to his liking, something that was imperfect, something that was broken. He just throw it in the field. He throw it in the field. He throw it away. And so they say, we'll use that potter's field with all the broken pieces. We'll use that to buy this land and, and we'll use the land to bury strangers. Who were strangers? Strangers were non-Jewish people or Gentiles. Those that were not under the covenant of God. And so you see here. We see that in effect, the blood of Jesus, in effect, the blood or the money that was used to betray innocent blood was used to buy this field. His blood now covered the field. Well, what did Jesus buy in effect with this with his blood. What did the money buy? It bought a field full of broken pieces. And you and I are the clay. God is the potter. He molded us and he made us and he shaped us. And there's the potter's field. The field is the world. And so there is a world full of broken people, broken dreams, broken relationships, just brokenness. Strangers filled with dead men's bones, lifeless and and broken. Jesus said, I see something in the field that's worth redeeming. And so he used Judas. God had a plan that Judas didn't just do this himself. God had a plan and Judas just played right on into it. And he threw the money in and the priest used the money to buy the field representing God can still redeem you even when you've done something horribly wrong. All you've got to do is make your confession to him and he can change your life. There's not there's not so much sin in your life that God cannot redeem you. He can save you even from the point of darkness, even from the point of your iniquity. Even when you said I've messed up so bad, God cannot want me. No, his arms are still long enough that he can reach down and save you and pull you out of the hell that you put yourself into. He's still able to save you from the guttermost to the utmost. He's still able to redeem you. And so God uses this as a symbol, as a sign for us today that he can still redeem you. He can still deliver you even though your life is broken in pieces. Even though it's full of dead men's bones, there's nothing living. The, the land is worth nothing. God still sees something that is worth something that is valuable there your broken life broken dreams he still sees something that is valuable and wants to redeem it as a matter of fact the lord gives us parable talking about the kingdom of god and he says a man comes along a field 
and he finds treasure in that field and he goes back and he sells everything that he has and he comes back and he purchases the field because he found something that's worthwhile in the field and let me tell you this in my closing you are worth keeping you are worth saving you are worth redeeming you are worth redeeming no matter how bad your past was no matter how bad your present is the blood of Jesus was shed on your behalf so that you could be made right with God and now the hand of God is outstretched to you and God simply says come home come home come home come home it's not about your past it's not about what you've done it's about what Jesus did on that cross how his blood was shed and how he purchased himself a field of blood representing your life that he would restore that he would make new all you have to do is just say yes Jesus I receive that today I pray you've heard the word of God today we're going to stop there in Jesus mighty name Lord we thank you for your sacrifice we thank you for your blessing We thank you for the sacrifice, God. We thank you for your blessing that you alone have the power to save us, to heal us, and to redeem us. You alone have the power to save, to heal, and to redeem. In Jesus' mighty name. Now there are persons in this room today whom God in his sovereignty desired you to be here today. That he would have right relationship and right fellowship with you. Because as we said before, hell is a real place. Hell is a place of torment. Hell is a place that was designed for the devil and his angels. Hell is not a party place. It is a place of extreme, excruciating pain and torment that will last for an eternity. Man will not just go away to nothingness. Man is an eternal being. You'll live somewhere, either in heaven with the Lord or with God or in hell with all the other disobedient spirits. Now it's your choice. You can't choose after you die. You have to choose now. So the Father in his sovereignty and in his wisdom has chosen this day, this resurrection morning to show you and tell you that you are worth redeeming. Your life is worth saving. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you're doing. It's about what Jesus accomplished for you. We pray that you are richly blessed by today's message. We would love to connect with you. Just go to our website at kingdomrock.org. You can become our friend on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our YouTube channel and a whole lot more right there at kingdomrock.org. We would love to hear from you. And if you're in the Bremen area, please stop by and join us every Sunday morning. Sunday school is at 9 a.m. and Sunday morning is at 10. Wednesday night, we have what's called Hour of Power. It starts at 6.30 p.m. All are invited. We're located at 180 Helton Road in Bremen, Georgia. Give us a call at 770-537-1933. We would love to hear from you. And if you have a prayer request, by all means, please log on to our website at kingdomrock.org and click on the prayer page. Until tomorrow, remember that Jesus is Lord. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way.